Well, it's good once again this morning to be here with you, and I want to express how much I have enjoyed being at the meeting this weekend and the hospitality of Brother Jimmy and also of the people here at the church. Good to see old friends and meet new friends. And uh, it's just uh, it's just been a joy. Brother Jimmy was we were he and Brother Leroy and I were sitting at the table this morning and before everybody got here and Brother Jimmy said, "You know, I just I'm sitting here with two men that I baptized, not at the same time, but Brother Leroy and Brother and myself both were baptized by Brother Jimmy." And uh, he's been a dear friend to me over the years. I didn't often deserve his friendship, but he's always been a friend, and I appreciate you, Brother Jimmy. I want to really spend a few moments this morning in the early part of the fifth chapter of the book of John. John chapter 5. This may be a little bit different style preaching than what I sometimes do and and maybe what you're used to, but I enjoy reading the Gospels, reading the stories that are told in the Gospels in the light of the truth that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And just reading through the stories, just the different doctrines, the different teachings of the Bible that jump out and that are expressed in a very simple form in just the stories that are told to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to look at this morning at a story that about a man, well, I'll just, let's just begin reading. I want to read down through verse 16, and then we're just going to come back and just kind of go through some of the things that we see contained here. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been a long time in that case, He said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise up, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and he took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. 
The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And he that was healed wist not who it was. But for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. The man departed, and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. There was a feast... And it tells us in the beginning there was a, of this chapter, there was a feast of the Jews. Three times a year, the Jews had a feast, and God had commanded them that those three times of the year, wherever that the Jews met to worship, which at this time had come to be in the temple, that all of the men were to go to Jerusalem for that feast. And Jesus... Being born a Jew, it was incumbent upon him to obey that law. And it is important for us to understand that Jesus obeyed all of the laws that God had given to his people. Uh, it was necessary that he do that because Brother Leroy read one of the scriptures yesterday in his sermon out of the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians that says something like this, that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. It was necessary that Jesus, you see, be made under the law because he had to fulfill the law. And in order to fulfill it, he had to be under the law and so it was necessary that he do that. It was necessary that Jesus not, you know, he had always existed in heaven. But he did not have a human body until he came and was conceived in the womb of Mary. Amen. And in the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, it tells us that he took not on him the nature of angels. You know, the angels are a superior being to us. But he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And it was necessary that he took on the seed of Abraham that he could, as a man, fulfill the law of God. So it's, it's important. This is just a little, I'm not going to spend any more time on this, but it's necessary for us to understand that Jesus was a man. He voluntarily became a servant. And he fulfilled all of the law of God. Amen. The righteousness that Jesus had while he was on earth is imputed to all of his people. We don't have any righteousness of our own. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, he went to this feast, went to up Jerusalem to this feast... There's not anything that Jesus ever did that was, there was not a purpose for. We read of a lot of things. For instance, in the fourth chapter, 
if we would turn, we won't turn back there and read, but, but he was, they were, they were going through Samaria. And he sent the disciples on into town, or they went on into town to get something to eat. He sat down by a well, and there was a woman that came to draw water at the well. Do you think that was just an accident, that that just happened? I, when I was a boy, some of you that are older probably remember some of these TV shows that we used to watch. Uh, the Cisco Kid, the Lone Ranger, and, and it just seemed like these these uh, old cowboys, they'd just ride around, and wherever they went, just something just happened to, you know, happen, and, and they just happened to be at the right place at the right time. But it was just, you know, just it just happened to be that way. And I used to, a long time ago, I used to kind of think that was the way it was with Jesus. So he, where he showed up, he just had something, you know, just happened to be there. But that's not the way it was. You see, he had a purpose. Everywhere that he went, everything that he did, he did by purpose. He is a God of purpose. Our God, he never does anything by accident. So it was no accident, first of all, that he had gone to this feast and it was no accident that he happened to be at this particular place at this particular time. The feast. It says that there was a pool, they call it a, by the sheep market. Some people say it should be a, a sheep gate. And this was, I'm told, the gate where the people that had sacrifices, that they, they came into the temple through this gate. And there was a pool there. Now, I don't know that much. I, I can't say for sure that this is a fact, but I have read of the size of this pool. I had always thought it would just be like a little wading pool. But the dimensions of that pool, I'm told, were 360 feet by 130 feet. Now, to put that in proper perspective, that is basically about the size of a football field. And that was the size of that pool. It, it, it would, the circumference of that pool would be almost as much as an acre of ground. And they said that this pool was 75 feet deep. Uh, so this was the pool that is mentioned here. In the Hebrew tongue, it was called Bethesda, which means a house of mercy. And there were five porches, and that means that there were little enclosed rooms, if I, as I understand it, I don't know how big the rooms were, around this pool where people could sit down and rest and so forth and so on. And so this was the, the setting where Jesus had come up to this place, and it says that there was a great multitude of impotent folk. Now, <clears throat> some of you in your Bibles... Probably in the margin of it, maybe not everybody, but somebody in the margin of it, you may say that the last part of the uh, third verse, I believe it is, and all of the fourth verse, that you're in the margin, it would tell you that that's not in the best manuscripts. I hope that you ignore that. I know Brother Jimmy has taught on this, and some of the other of you, uh, more of you than the churches you go to, you have been taught on this. And I'm not a scholar; I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know a little bit. First of all, 
Well, I'll just tell you what I, what I do know. The text that our Bible here is, is translated into English was from an, old, from an old text. If you read your older writers, I'm talking about people that lived back in the 16, 1700s, they never mentioned the fact that this is not in the best text. you know why they don't? Because the people that say that these are not in the oldest text, those texts were not even available until the 19th century. And they found some old manuscripts in a trash can that dated back a long time. And so these scholars said that because these are older, they must be better. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to say this because I'm not enough of a scholar to argue a lot of the facts on this. I'm just say this, and this is enough for me. Why would God allow us to think for over 1,800 years that we had the Word of God, and then all of a sudden, after 1,800 years, say, well, you don't really have the Word of God. That what you have is, is, is not, you can't really trust what you have. And that is, I think, is the whole plan of the devil. Because if you can begin to question this verse and that verse and that verse, it won't be long you can say, well, I don't know if I can believe any of it or not. So, I hope when you come to those verses, I do know enough to know this, that our old people, there, there are writer, writings that are still available today that were written in the 2nd and 3rd centuries where they referred to this verse, understanding that it was in the Word of God. So I hope when you read those things, if you have those in your margin of your Bible, the best thing to do is just cross it out, mark it out or whatever, because uh, we can't depend on that. And I, I hope you understand that. And and will not be fooled by that. Because these things, this was in the Word of God. I don't necessarily be able to explain. I can't explain to you what what is described here. Uh, it is beyond uh, natural understanding. It is something that just doesn't make sense that you'd have a, a big a lake, a small lake here, and that at certain times that an angel of God would go out and stir the water and that whoever that had a disease, the first one that would step into the water after that, they'd be healed. Now that just doesn't, you know, for the, the human mind, that just doesn't make sense. But there's a lot of things in the Bible we can't understand. I don't know that we've ever been commanded to understand the Word of God. We are commanded to believe it. We may not understand it. And I, I have to tell you, even in, in the natural world, there's a lot of things that I don't understand that I believe. But what I understand about this, and this is a very mysterious thing, and even the people, a lot of scholars have, have read this, they, they can't explain it. But <clears throat> I think probably... Now, this is just my thinking. You don't have to take this as, as fact. But I think probably that God had been silent among the Jewish people since the book of Malachi was written. For about 400 years, there hadn't been a prophet in the nation of Israel. 
But the Jews knew by reading the Scriptures and, and what God had told them in prophecy that the time was near for the Messiah to come. And I think maybe that about the time that the Messiah was born, along that time that God began to do this miracle, it was kind of a lead up. A lot of things began to happen because something spectacular was about to happen. But at certain seasons, an angel would stir the water and whoever stepped in first they were healed of whatever disease they had. And that's why all these multitudes, it says a multitude, that's a lot of people, were gathered here at this place waiting for that moving of the water so they could go in and be healed. And here was a man that had been, had an infirmity, the Bible says, for 38 years. We don't, it doesn't say what his infirmity was, but whatever that infirmity was, evidently he couldn't walk because he told Jesus that he when, when, the, when the angel stirred the water, he said, I don't have anybody to help me down into the water. And somebody always gets there before I do. So evidently, he was not able to walk. And Jesus came to this man. Remember, there was a multitude here. But Jesus didn't come to everybody there. He came to one man. And ask him if he wanted to be healed. Jesus didn't come to this one particular man and say to him, Now I knew that your father, who your father and your mother were, and they were good men and they were good people and and uh, and and they believed on you know they were really good religious people and because based on what they did and your parents because of they were good people then I'm, I'm going to come to you and, and help you. It didn't matter who the parents were. Listen, God, when He shows mercy, He does not show mercy because of what family that we're born into. He doesn't show mercy because of anything good that we have done. If there's any mercy shown, I can't give you any other reason than what Jesus gave. There was a time while he was here on his earthly ministry, that he sent 70 men out to preach, and he gave them power. And those men, when they had gone out, and they were just amazed at the power that God had given them. And they came back to Jesus rejoicing. They said, why, you know, they, they just were excited. They said, why, even the angels, or even the, the, the devils are subject to us. And Jesus said to them, He was illustrating to them this wasn't any big deal with him. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I was in heaven when the devil was cast out. I saw him fall from heaven like lightning falling in the sky. He said, don't rejoice because the, because the angels are subject to you. But he said, here's what you need to rejoice in because your name's are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven this morning? I hope you can say that it is. If your name is written in heaven this morning, it wasn't written there this morning, and it wasn't written there when you believed. That name was written before the world ever began. It's always been there.
So Jesus came to this man out of the multitude and he asked him if he wanted to be healed. And the man, I heard a man years ago, uh, uh, I'm not saying this to being critical of him, and he was a friend of mine, and, and I still count him as a friend. But he didn't, doesn't believe some things that he ought to believe. And he preached on this text, and he said the reason that this man had not been healed because there was some Christian that had let him down. That it was our, his response. It was our responsibility to put the man in the pool. Well, I tell you, we can't do that. And Jesus didn't say that. He didn't accuse. He didn't say, "Well, the reason you're not healed because somebody hadn't done their part." What it was, this man was looking to the wrong thing to be healed. A lot of people look to the means that that, that that's what they need to be healed. That I need to be baptized, or I need to do this, or I need to do that, and, and that's what I need to do in order to, to alleviate the, the problem that I have, the sin problem that I have. But you can't look to anything that you can do or that anybody else can do. The only, what this man needed to look to was the God of heaven, the great physician. And Jesus, he did something that he did a lot. You know, I remember in the in the scripture. I know you do too. Remember reading about the time that Jesus was was in the temple, and they had a man there that had a withered hand. Now these old wicked Jews, just to show you how how wicked that they were and how much they hated the Lord, they knew that He healed people, and they had this. They brought this man in for the purpose just to see if Jesus could heal him, so that they could accuse him of doing something wrong on the Sabbath day. But Jesus looked on them. He looked on them actually with anger, I believe the, the, the scriptures say. But he told the man that had the withered hand, he said, stretch forth thine hand. Now, how are you going to do that? Can you tell me? If you've got a withered hand, how are you going to stretch it forth, Brother Roger? You can't. Except... If Jesus says to stretch it forth, and the Bible says that the man just stretched it forth, and it was whole. What did he tell the man here that had the infirmity of 38 years, that couldn't even get down to the water unless somebody helped him, and Jesus just told him to rise, take up your bed, and walk. And what happened? He rose. Took up his bed and walked. There was another man that uh, we read about in the book of Acts. Peter and John had gone to the temple, and there was a man there that the Bible says that had been he had been crippled all of his life. And he looked; he was sitting there as a beggar, and he looked up to Peter and John to see if they would give him something. And Peter told him, "Said silver and gold have I none." But in the name of Jesus, I'll tell you to rise up and walk. And the Bible says that the man, he rose up and walked. And he, he was, you know, he never walked in his life. And not only did he walk, he got to jumping around. I mean, he just was happy because God, what's happened to me? Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you, so you, you, you all may know this, 
But I'm going to tell you that it's, it's a greater miracle in a way than what I used to think it was. I've, I drove a truck for many years. There was a man that I saw quite often, another drove, he was a truck driver, and we delivered a lot of time to the same places, and I'd see him a lot. And I hadn't seen him for several months, maybe a year. And some one morning I was at, at a place, was unloading, and he was there. And I walked up, you know, and was talking to him, and I said, I hadn't seen you in a long time. He said, well, he said, I've been sick. He said, I was laid up in a coma for, I don't know, a month or two in the hospital. And he said, after I got well, better, he said, I didn't even, I couldn't even walk. I forgot how to walk. He said, they had to, to, to work with me before I could even learn how to walk again. And I found out since then that that's very common. Anybody. That's that if they get flat of their back for a long period of time, when they get well, if they get well, they have to learn how to walk all over again. But here we have this man had been 38 years with this infirmity. But when Jesus said, walk, he didn't have to go to physical therapy. He just walked. He stood up and walked. When God shows mercy to one of his poor, sinful children, there are things that we learn and as we grow. But that life, that spiritual life, is imparted, imparted at one time. Well, immediately that says the man was made whole, took up his bed, and he walked. And it happened to be on the Sabbath day. Just happened, if you believe in just happened. It was on the Sabbath day. And the Jews, <clears throat> uh, you know, they, they really got upset about this like they did about a lot of things Jesus did. But their laws, you know, they had the, God had said to keep the Sabbath day holy. They had added on a lot of their own traditions to the law that God had originally given. As far like how far you could walk on the Sabbath day and, and you could do this, you know. That was all man-made stuff. God didn't tell them that. But they were upset because the man was walking on the Sabbath day. I'll just say a little bit here about the Sabbath and about their attitude about it. Jesus told them at one time, he said that, and, and this was in the law of God, that if an ox is in the ditch, then you pull it out, if, even if it's on the Sabbath day, because the ox is down there suffering, and he might die if you leave him in there. And Jesus said that if, if you, in the law of God, as he was talking to them, he said that if you would show mercy on an animal like that, then why would it be wrong if a man has an infirmity to not heal him on the Sabbath day? Another thing about the Sabbath day 
was that Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath day. You know, everything that Jesus did, He, he did it according to the will of His Father. He said, I came to do the will of him that sent me. Amen. And he always did it. I hope that uh, these young boys and girls that are here this morning, that I hope you will always try to do the will of your father. There's times you're not going to, I know that, because we're sinful creatures. But I want you to strive to do the will of your father. I certainly was not always obedient to my father, but Jesus was. And he never did anything that was against the will of the father. Now, if the father, God the father, had ordained and given the law concerning the Sabbath day, and if his son was doing the will of the father, then whatever he did would not be against what God the Father had instituted to be done. So there's two different ways that you can look at why that these Jews were very hypocritical when they wanted to accuse Jesus of doing wrong when he healed people on the Sabbath day. But when they came to him and, and, and uh, uh, accused him of that, he just told them, he said, well, the man that healed me told me to get up and walk. But he didn't know who it was. He didn't know his name because Jesus, I, I think I mentioned yesterday that how that when Jesus was on earth, he, he was, uh, there was nothing extraordinary about his physical uh, uh, appearance. And he had just kind of blended into the multitude. And the man didn't know who he was, didn't know where he went. But he did know this that he was lame. And now he wasn't. Like the man in the ninth chapter that Jesus healed, uh, that was a blind man. And when the Jews came to him and accused him uh, of, of uh, worshiping uh, uh, somebody or giving somebody credit more than Moses, Jesus, uh, this blind man told him, he said, well, I know one thing. He said, I don't, I don't know who it was that healed me. He didn't at the time. But he said, I know one thing, that I was blind, and now I see. When God does a work on one of his little children, they know that something's happened. They may not understand all about it. Sometimes everybody's experience is not the same, and I, I don't, I, we don't, we don't base our salvation on our experience. But sometimes in the experience of God's people, they don't understand what's happened. I remember a, a story that I read in a, a book by John Kershaw, who was an old particular Baptist preacher in England in the 1800s. There was a man in his town, a very successful man, and a very religious man. The man traveled was, was a, a world traveler. He wrote books about his travels. And he was in a church building, quote, unquote, church building. It was a new one. 
and they had a, a new they had the carving in the in the communion table they had the ten commandments carved in the in that somehow or another in that table and he was just sitting there admiring the handiwork of the artist that had made this table and when he was looking at those ten commandments he was slain that law that he thought he knew something about and thought he kept God applied that law to him to his conscience and it just ruined him and he didn't know what was happening he went to several preachers what's wrong with me and they all told him you're all right you're just fine. You've always you've always lived a good life. Just keep on living like you're living. You know, everything is just fine with you. But he knew something wasn't right. Finally, the man said it was almost like an audible word that he heard. He had met one time John Kershaw. Didn't know him. He just met him. And he said it almost seemed like God spoke in his ear and said, you need to go see John Kershaw. So he went and found John Kershaw's home and told him what was going on. And you know what John told him? He didn't, he t- he didn't tell him what all these other preachers had told him. He said this. He said, I'm glad to hear what you just told me. I'm glad to hear about the problems that you're having. And what it led to in John preaching the gospel to him, he came to understand why that he was feeling the way he was because he had come to understand that he was a sinner. But it was not till a little bit later that he was relieved that that burden was taken from him and he was able to look and rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and give him the glory for what he had done. Well, this man, he didn't, he knew that something had happened but he didn't know who had done it. But when Jesus came to him in the temple and told him, and, and very like, it's very likely that at some point in time in his life that he had sinned a great sin, that had brought this infirmity on him, and Jesus told him that go and, and sin no more lest the worst thing happen or come upon thee. But this is what the man did after that Jesus had revealed himself to him. He went back to the Jews and he told them, Jesus is the man that healed me. He's the man that told me to rise up and walk. This We see this happen time and time throughout the Gospels. You remember the woman that had the infirmity? And... She had spent all the money that she had on doctors and they couldn't do anything for her. And she heard about Jesus. And the Bible says this, that she said in her heart, you don't don't have to pray all the time long prayers and you don't even have to pray them to anybody else. But she just said in her heart, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And Jesus was passing by, and there was a crowd of people around him. 
and there were a lot of people that were touching him as he walked by. But when this woman touched him, and what she intended to do was just reach out and touch his garment and be made whole and going away. God doesn't work that way. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So what happened? Jesus turned around. He said, who touched me? The disciple said, well, Lord, there's a crowd here. There's a lot of people touching me. He said, no, somebody touched me. And he looked on the woman. And he drew forth the confession from her faith Amen. that the Lord had healed her. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word of God that you've given us. We thank you for so many lessons that you teach us in your word. And we pray that we would always, when we see what you've done, and what you've done in our lives, that we would always give you all the glory and all the honor for what you do. For you and you only deserve it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Jimmy. Amen, brother. We all know the amazing grace. Won't you stand and sing one verse of that? And then Brother Leroy, come. Am I going to sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved.